What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast. My name is Seth Ashworth. And before we get started with episode 39, um, a couple of things I wanted to say. First of all, I could not keep this podcast going without support of people on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform where you can chip in a couple of dollars, get early access to the podcast and help keep it running. Um, It helps cover the cost of things like hosting fees, um, which are a barrier to keeping this podcast alive. So I really appreciate the people who already support. And if you want to become one of those people, then you can go over to patreon.com slash Seth Ashworth. That's Patreon dot com slash seth ashworth thing number two before we get started here the first five minutes of this podcast are somewhat uh, gory um and if you are not okay with people describing how they got um injuries and the extent of those injuries um this one will be more challenging for you to listen to so just keep that in mind um as you as you get into it and if you are made to feel queasy very easy, then this is maybe one you're going to want to avoid and come back for the next episode of. All right, that's all I've got. Uh, yeah, episode 39. Here we go. Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast. This week, I'm joined by part-time pro kayaker, full-time ice cream enthusiast, Johnny Chase. Oh, man, that was the, that was the best intro I've ever gotten. <laughs> Welcome to the show, buddy. Good to uh, good to be speaking with you. For people who don't know you or want to know more about you than full-time ice cream enthusiast, um, what can you tell people about yourself? Um, I'm also a full-time anime enthusiast, so that's that's probably my other my other go-to. But yeah, um, yeah, I like kayak, and uh, I love kayaking for probably 11 years and eating ice cream for 25 years now. So a little more experience in the ice cream realm. But uh, yeah, so on a podcast and chatting about kayaking for a little bit it is i've known you for a couple of years i guess we've kayaked together maybe once or twice in ecuador maybe like i don't know like five years ago or four years ago um but the reason i wanted to speak to you today i, I the last podcast i did i was speaking to alec Voorhees, and uh we we're kind of shooting the breeze afterwards and he's like oh you should totally talk to we were talking about uh like mistakes you've made and lessons you've learned from it and and he was like oh you should totally speak to Johnny Chase because uh, he broke his ankle recently. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did know he broke his ankle recently. And so I wondered if we could start off um, by not talking about kayaking, but by talking about how you broke your ankle. Yeah, uh, for sure. It's, that's, it's First off, this is my first broken bone that I've ever had. And I always wondered what it would be like, and it's not worth it. So I don't need to wonder anymore. But uh, I actually fell rock climbing in the Grand Tetons. Uh, climbing with Eric Boomer and then one of my friends from college, Scotty Meraki. And uh, it was, yeah, just like a normal day of climbing. We had, it was actually our first day of our climbing trip. We had like a week trip planned in the Tetons and then a week in the Wind River Range. Um, so it was like day one and we were just doing this climb and Boomer led it the first time and it was like a little harder. Like I don't, I don't climb very hard, but uh, it was a little harder than I normally would lead. But, you know, being around that guy, he's always so motivating. He's like, you should lead it, you should lead it. And so I decided to try and uh, I was at like topping out of the route and was like got too pumped and was like pretty far above my last piece. And I took like a 30 foot whip and about 20 feet through my fall. I nicked and a whip my... is a fall. Is that correct? Yeah. A fall. Yeah. So I fell probably like 15 feet, like 10, 15 feet above my last piece in the wall, which is a 0.1 cam. So like super tiny little cam, um, which luckily was in a really good spot and held. But about 23, 
feet through my fall, I clipped my uh, heel on a little ledge and uh, flipped upside down and then was caught in the rope hanging upside down. And I had this quick moment of like, no, maybe it's not that bad. Like maybe I just sprained my ankle and I looked up and my foot was maybe two inches to the right and turned sideways. Ugh. And I was like, oh no, it's, it's really, really bad. And I like started screaming. It hurt like unbelievably bad. And uh, I got to the ground and uh, Boomer, the first thing he says to me is, Oh, you only broke your ankle? I thought you were actually hurt. Oh, man. <laughs> Boomer is such a savage. I definitely am uh, going to line him up to be on here at some point because his his adventures are just, like, so beyond next level to everyone else. It's it's crazy. Everything he does, too. It's not just kayaking or, like, Arctic expeditions. Like, anything he... Yeah, he's, he's incredible. But uh, they hauled me off to the hospital, and... When I got to the hospital, I'd realize, they told me that I had a tib-fib fracture and a, uh, my fibula was like displaced and was pressing out of my skin and almost compound fractured. And I had also dislocated my ankle. And it took um, 20 minutes to try to realign my foot, and then uh, which they never were able to get my ankle back into place. So my ankle was dislocated for an entire week until I got surgery. Um, then when I got surgery, they called my girlfriend, Ashley, to pick me up, and they told her that we knew the injury was really bad, but it was much, much worse than we thought. And, but she didn't tell me that, and they didn't. I don't. I don't ever. I don't think I ever talked to the doctor after the surgery. And I came in for my one week post op checkup, and he like cut my cast off, like pretty aggressively, and then I had these like antibiotic strips because I had these really bad fracture blisters. So I had these huge blisters, like blood blisters, along my ankle on the inside, and he took this like antibiotic trip off like more slowly than I've ever seen him do anything. And I was like, Oh, he's being really considerate. And he stopped and took a deep breath and was like, all right, we don't have to cut your foot off. And I was like, what? And he's like, most people with your injury, you lose your foot. And oh I was like, God. what do you mean? He's like, so I ended up tearing my skin from my bones and my flesh all through the inside of my foot and on the top of my foot. And he thought all of the skin was going to die. And uh, luckily, only like a quarter size piece of skin died. And so, just just for a little a little clarification for people who are following along at home, you went into the hospital thinking you were just getting like a checkup and maybe like out of your car. Still, let them talk about taking your screws out, and the doctors worried that you're going to lose your whole foot. Yeah, so I thought I was going to go into a cast because I was in a splint still, and uh, yeah, so I. I was, yeah, the doctor was worried they're going to lose my entire foot. And I That's thought I was quite like, the, quite the miscommunication there. Oh yeah. And he's, he just told me right after he's like, we decided not to tell you, we didn't want you to stress about it. We wanted oh you to God. sleep as much as possible. And so I like almost threw up and I was like, I, I need water and I need you to leave. So I like had to sit there for like 20 minutes. And when he came back, he said, you're, I'm still not technically out of the woods. Like I could still get an infection. If I get an infection gone, like, yeah. So I got really lucky. Like my skin's really healthy now. I, I have some like a lost some feeling and, but yeah, worked out for the best. I'm, I just can't even picture that what that must feel like to go, to go into the hospital expecting one thing. And then suddenly your conversation takes the hardest right turn. I could, you could even imagine. And you're suddenly talking about a very different outcome. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, yeah, I was, I mean, literally about to throw up when he's when I heard him say that. I was like, I I can't like that's my been my worst fear my whole life is like losing a limb. 
Um, so what what can we take away here? What what what's already been some good lessons learned you've had from this experience so far? Obviously, you're not fully back to 100% yet, but you're you're back to kind of hobbling around instead of just being completely on the couch. What yeah, what have your takeaways been so far? And what 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 would you tell people in the future? Like what what's your what's your learning experience here? Um, be more wary of ledges when you're lead climbing. Uh, it's okay to like string up climbing routes. Like if you're nervous, like put more gear in than you than you think you might need, and just kind of like know know your limits and don't let people like boom or pressure you in. Although I don't feel pressured, I felt like I can do it, and I've just climbed the route. Um, it's been kind of a weird process for me because I knew that I could climb the route and I had just climbed the route and like I knew that there's you know obviously dangers in lead climbing and I took a big fall but I was one move away from putting another piece of gear in so it was like kind of falling at my next clipping point um which is just always where your biggest falls are going to be and um but yeah just like really taking care of your injuries and I think the hard part for me now is just like the daily grind of like I have to get up and do my PT every day and uh you know, just like really focusing on the recovery aspect of things and not getting too far ahead of myself and like, you know, making sure I'm careful from, from this point on and trying to be back to normal. Yeah, no doubt. I remember like in, uh, 2014, I like tore my ACL and my NCL, my meniscus all at the same time. And I had like two surgeries and I had a whole, a whole a not similar experience in that, like I knew I wasn't going to lose my leg, but it was Sim, it was similar and it was like a, a daily grind of getting up and like doing the physio exercises like you know three like it was my job like three times a day and doing these extra stretches and trying to keep that positive mental attitude um which is so daunting i think to like try and keep that keep your brain in a in a positive mindset and it's so easy it looks like it's going to be so easy to just let those that like negativity slide into your perspective and uh, you, you can't let it. Otherwise, you know, you're never going to get better. Totally. Yeah. It's been, yeah. And yeah. And it's been, it's been hard to say the least. And anyone who has an injury knows for sure. Like you said, like that's, you know, tearing all of those at the same time is not an easy thing. And like, you know, it's going to get better, but you don't know when. And like after, so like after my surgery, I had like a pretty hard time too. Uh, so I had three weeks where I wasn't allowed to move. I was only allowed to go from the bed to the couch. And then if I had to go to the bathroom, I could go to go to the bathroom, but I wasn't allowed to do any upper body movements. I wasn't allowed to move at all because they said I needed everything to focus on my skin healing. So I was just like fully stationary 24 hours a day on the couch with no Ugh. movement. Uh, so then when I came out of that, I was like, they're like, yeah, so you like good to move your upper body. Um, but I was only on, uh, they only gave me 10 milligram Norco for my pain, which didn't end up being enough. So I was in like screaming pain most of the time. And my heart rate was like, I have like a Garmin watch and my heart rate would go to like 175 when I'm laying on the couch cause I'm in so much pain. That's like my, where my max heart rate usually is like right around there. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I'm just freaking out. And so I, I had like two, it was like two months before I felt like I could even like get up and move. And then you know, like when that hit, they were like, like we went from, are we going to put you in another cast, um, or not? And my bones, actually my fibula is still not healed and it's been three and a half months. Um, cause my, my bones broke, they, when they put them back together, they didn't just, you know, they weren't like, normally that's like a jigsaw puzzle and you kind of slide them back together. But my bones had like kind of disintegrated apart 
And uh, so they were put back together gaps. So I had like full gaps between my bones where they had just removed a bunch of my bone that was destroyed. Um, so my fibula is still healing and it's been a long process. And once my foot was actually casted downward, so like my toes were pointed down, which uh, shrunk my Achilles tendon. So I've been having a lot of problems with mobility and trying to regain my mobility and doing a lot of stretching and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's good to hear you're on the up and up, but it's definitely a sobering reminder to everybody that like whatever outdoor sport you're pursuing, whether it's like climbing or kayaking or anything, literally you know, skiing, snow, whatever it is, like it's even though you think, oh, yeah, it's it, you're not going that hard. It doesn't take that much to put you in a pretty serious spot where it's going to take you a long time to come back to where you are. Totally. I, I think the main I think the main lesson that I would take away from this and something I already knew, but just like reinforced it was, uh, I got really lucky that I got hurt. Like, you know, it took me 40 minutes to an hour to get to the car from where I got hurt and that we were planning on doing, you know, Alpine trips in the Tetons and, uh, that you need to have like an inreach or a spot or something where if you break your leg, you know, kayaking, mountain biking, and you're out there that you need to be able to get help. Like, you know, if I would have been in the grand Teton without an inreach, I would have, I don't know what would have happened, you know? Yeah, I think people, people kayakers especially, but I think people generally are way too loose about their communication plans for how they're going to get out of a situation. Yeah, definitely. That's my my experience so far, at least. Is uh, you know, you you never think you need it, and you're like, oh, whatever. And then with that time, that one time you do need it, it's uh, it's going to pay for itself pretty quickly. Definitely. Yeah, instantly. Instantly, yeah. All right, let's talk about some kayaking then. Um, for people who are not followers of Johnny Chase, when do you go up? How do you start kayaking? Um, what's your home run? Yeah, so I started, uh, I grew up in Kernville, California, in the Southern Sierra. And uh, I started kayaking uh, like my freshman year of high school. And I got super lucky, like that, having Evan there to teach me how to kayak he was already paddling and i think he was in eighth grade he's in year or uh, grade younger so he was in eighth so grade you, you're just year. breaking up for a second there johnny who did you have there with you oh uh i had my friend evan moore there with me if that helps you there sir sorry you're just breaking up again buddy try one more time you had your friend evan yeah that should be a little better um i had evan moore there with me who was already kayaking class five uh and what we were in eighth grade he was in eighth grade and i was a freshman and so he was already a really skilled paddler and um, his dad taught me how to roll. And then Evan took me out basically after that and took me under his wing. And I don't think that I had a conventional way of learning how to kayak. Evan, uh, he would take me down runs. And after I learned how to roll, he would be like, all right, if you can roll, you're not allowed to swim or you're not allowed to come kayaking with us anymore. And so he like <laughs> played that pretty heavily to heart. And so I would do this run and I would flip over like, in the second wave of the rapid and I'd run the entire rapid upside down and I'd roll up at the bottom and he'd be like, let's go. And he would just like keep charging away down the river. And, you know, he didn't look back much when he was a kid. So it was just on me to like, make sure I didn't swim. And, uh, he never taught me how to paddle. We never caught any eddies and we always actually started in playboats, which I think is also funny, but yeah, it was always just, let's just keep going. Just go down the river, paddle as hard as you can down the middle and don't swim. It's kind of the way I was brought up. That's definitely a very um, interesting methodology for teaching. I mean, I guess it's paid off for you. I don't know if it would pay off for every single individual. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, it kind of paid off for me. I had some, you know, it was good. Like 
uh, it was nice to have him like push me and like, it kind of, I feel like that's carried over into my kayaking today where I'm able, like, sometimes I get really, you know, you get really scared and you really want to do something. And I'm like, well, if I did, you know, back then, I didn't even know how to kayak. Like I know how to kayak now. I can definitely do this. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, um, you know, when you, if you look back at, at what you're doing and it's like, oh yeah, like blah, blah, blah. I used to just do this, you know, without, without really knowing what I was doing, this, this should be fine. Uh, you know, that's, uh, there's some transferability there of skills, right. Of like men- mental attitude skills. Um, cool. I'm str- yeah. struggling to find the words right now to, to describe it, but that definitely has a, a, tr- a transferability, right? Yeah, totally. You're, yeah. It's like, you kind of have like a bank of memories. Like, well, I did this back then. Like I could definitely do this now, you know? And, like not that that carries over the best all the time. And you definitely want to make sure you have the skill to do things. And I think Evan and I were in this kind of environment when we were young, where it was like, we had some really good mentors when we started kayaking. And then as we kind of got onto our own, we had, we were just like on our own paddling. So when we were like, you know, 17, it was just Evan and I like paddling what we wanted to paddle and doing what we wanted to do and doing our trips, just me and him. And so we kind of got into like, well, we can just do whatever, you know, we feel like is possible. And, you know, looking back, you know, at 16 year old Johnny, I ran some things that were outrageous and I'd probably still be nervous to run today, but it worked out. And, you know, now I've got a more level head on my shoulders about what's what I should do and shouldn't do and what I can do and can't do. So you and Evan uh, and Carson and Dane went to Pakistan uh, the year before last, right? Yep. Yep. How do you think that uh, like mindset of like, uh, you know, just don't swim, uh, helped you out there. Cause that seemed like, that seems like one of the places where it's so big and so crazy. And like, even Dane is taking swims and, you know, Dane never swims. So how did that translate for you? Like, did that put more pressure on you? Did it take pressure off? Like what, what was the situation out there? Or like, how, how did you feel? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me there, you know, there, there's, there shouldn't be pressure when you go kayaking, but like everyone talks about the Indus and like being the hardest run there is right now for at least big water. And you know, the rapids are huge and you, you definitely, you definitely don't want to swim. There's a couple of places where it's okay to swim. And luckily where those were, where Dane swam both times. And, um, there's definitely places you don't want to swim and yeah, you kind of have to like know that you're willing to fight until the end on the Indus. And I think that, you know, growing up with that mentality that you're not going to swim, you're going to hold on as long as possible and you're going to do whatever it takes to stay in your boat at the bottom of the rapid is the mentality you absolutely have to have going to the end is there's not really like any room for any other mentality. Um, but also I think the the pressure that's put on the end is more that everyone counts their portages on the end And so you, you know, you want to go there, like, you know, make a name for yourself. You want to do less portages. And I think that's where a lot of the end pressure came from is, you know, like you don't want to think about that or sometimes about those kind of things. But, you know, when you're like, oh, well, on you only portage six times, we'll spend portage two times. And, you know, and then they're like, well, Dane only portage once. Like, how many times did you portage? Is I think where a lot of the, the indus pressure comes comes from when you're going to the river. Um, and then when you get to the river, like that doesn't hold true anymore because the rapids are so big that you're like, there's no pressure to run anything like, you know, you could portage. 15 or 16 times and still run the biggest rapids you've ever run in your life. Or you could be Dane and Portage one time and one of the biggest rapids you've ever run in your life. So like it kind of goes away when you get there. And I don't think there was any pressure on the river to be 
anything more than you just wanted to be or were when you were there. Just the rapids are too big. Yeah, I think not enough people. I was saying, I think it came up when I was talking to Alec, but I said uh, someone a long time ago told me like you don't have to run everything, and that's really sat with me um, a lot through my kayaking career. And it's interesting to hear uh, you know, you you're basically arrived at the same conclusion, but like only after you got to the river, not like in the the build up phase. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like. Oh, you've got to you've got to try and have as few porches as possible. But then when it comes down to it, it's like, oh, whatever. You don't have to run everything. Like, yeah, totally, totally. And and it was cool. Like, you know, sometimes it's hard to watch your friends run something you, like you want to run, but maybe don't feel comfortable to run. But on the end, it was like cool to watch. You know, it was exciting for us to watch like Dane run things and like not have the need to want to run them. Like, I didn't want to run the Lupa at all. Like, that was not in my cards. And it's cool to be able to watch your friends do things that are like still on the next level. What What were you thinking? Like, do you, where were you sitting when Dane ran that rapid? I was below the rapid, so I was. T- I took the. I took a photo from the taking photos from the bottom, and then also setting safety in the eddy. Um, I was kind of like in the mutual spot right there, and like looking at it, it very much was like, yeah, you could run that right there, and there's no way I'm gonna do it. And Dane, though, he got out of his boat in the eddy, and within like five seconds gave us a thumbs up that he's going to do it like no hesitation yeah i mean he i think the more for me at least i've experienced like the more experience you have the quicker you're making those like yes no's and you're like looking at things and all the all the like computations of like where you're going to go and what could possibly happen and what you're going to do it happens so much quicker and quicker and quicker right i don't know if you experience this but like the more the more rivers you run, the more rapids you like get out your boat, look at, you know, all the variables get calculated, like kind of in, in the, like the other part of your brain that you're not, is not active. It's just like, it's happening without your control. It's like, yeah, you know, you know, you know, the answer when it comes out immediately. And I think for Dane, he's got so much extra time of that, like computational, like look, understand everything that's happening and then decide, you know, like right there, he, he knows no, it's, yeah, I mean, he would do, yeah, he's, and yeah, he has, like you said, so much experience and he can look at any rapid and almost instantly know if it's even possible ever in a kayak or if it is that he can probably do it. And he definitely helped a lot on the Indus. Just like, I just think this, this one memory is we, uh, Dane was in the back and I think Evan or Carson was up front and we all like pull into this eddy and Dane's kind of like, one eddy up from us and you know he can't hear anything so we're like talking about like all we can see is like this big water exploding everywhere down below you can't see anything and we're like oh yeah like we should uh one of us probably pop out and scout here and just kind of chatting about what we're gonna do and dane just hits the eddy we're in gives us one look turns around peels out and starts going and we're like well i guess i guess dane thinks it's fine and sure enough he's just like right online right where he's supposed to be through the whole thing yeah i think it's just if you if you paddle 300 days a year since you were like an infant child, like since you were seven, like, you know, you're, you'd have more experience than, you know, people the same age as you who have only been paddling 200 days a year since they were 18. Totally. Totally. You know? Yeah. It's just, at some point it's just a numbers game, but I'm, I'm curious to know where the tipping point is for like how, what the number is you have to get to of like rapids run and scouts done and, and mistakes made before, you before you feel like that yeah i order the same thing all the time because i keep wondering when i'm going to get there like what am i going to be like (laughs) dane 
<laughs> one day let's talk yeah. about so still about pakistan what uh is there any notable mistakes that you made either on or off the river on that trip that you learned a lesson from and what was the lesson oh um everything in pakistan actually went like amazingly amazingly smooth um yeah everything was we had a tour service you know like we went with golden peaks and they were incredible to us and our shaba our guide he just like took care of everything and everything was really good we um they took care of food for us so we didn't get sick dane and i got maybe a little sick on like the last two days after we paddled um i think the only thing we underestimated was um we had we were there for two weeks and we only kayaked the endis which we kayaked in five days and the rest of our time was spent driving because our flights were canceled. Mm. And so like our flights being canceled, we weren't really expecting, you know, to drive from Islamabad to Skardu and then from Skardu back to Islamabad. And that was like on the way there it was really awesome to see like the country and like go through all these different parts and see how the people live there. And we drove through, you know, a bunch of really cool places and saw really cool things. But on the way back, we were, you know, haggard and we wanted to paddle more and we kind of got our, our trip you know, like we wanted to do some other rivers around the area and weren't able to, because we had to drive, you know, the horrendous drive back and a not very like comfortable van. That how did you, rambling. how did you like train and prepare for that trip? I know I remember speaking to Benny um, last year on a podcast and he was saying that like that he was feeling the difference of his body, like at the altitude um, and you know, like things were harder, like portraiting was harder. Scouting was harder. His heartbeat was higher all the time. Did you put in any like special work to be ready to go on that trip or is Benny just being a big baby? Um, no, he's not being a big baby at all. Well, maybe a little bit, but, uh, we actually, so Evan and I were completely, I think Carson too, were completely off the couch kayaking. We hadn't kayaked since August. So we went to India for a month before we went to the Indus. And so training, and then we went to Meghalaya, India, which is just a bunch of big water, like river running, big water runs that, you know, when we got there, we definitely were not in the end of shape. And I was like walking a lot of rapids. I would normally run and just didn't feel like I could paddle and fell off. And then by the end of our India trip, we got to run. We ran this river called the Kinchi twice, which is this incredible, like one of my top five favorite runs I've ever done river, with big river running, like high volume rapids. And that like, that definitely put us in shape and put us in the mindset. Like there are definitely scary rapids on that run that put us in the mindset to be like, all right, like we can run hard rapids. We're all in really good paddling shape. We all feel really healthy and really strong. And then that's when we went to Pakistan. Like I definitely could not go to Pakistan after paddling without paddling some sort of big water beforehand. So that was like your, your build up preparation really. Was that like pre in, in India, go kayaking in India for what, like two weeks, three weeks, a month? Yeah, a month. So yeah, a month in India, and then you go to Pakistan and get your five days on the biggest white water you've ever seen. Yep, exactly. All right, get some. So if you want to go to Pakistan, that's the that's the move. That's definitely the move. There's there's not any other way to like all the rapids on video are way smaller than they are in person. So don't don't I, let it I fool you. I believe I think the for a lot of people they don't uh, it takes them a long time before they they get that experience of like when you see something and it looks really big on the GoPro, it's enormous. And when you see something that looks really small on the GoPro, you're like, Oh, this is so big. But then when you see it in real life, you're like, Oh, is it though? And uh, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people don't find that like middle ground spot where they like, they suddenly have comprehension um, for a bit into their paddling career when they're suddenly like, Oh wow, that's a lot bigger than where I'm at right now. 
No, totally. And I, I've never done this to Keen, um, but Evan, you know, Evan Carson have, and I think Dane has. No, Dane hasn't, but I don't think Dane has. And and, uh, Evan said that the Stikine is basically class four compared to the Indus. So just for like a stepping stone of, you know, what big water, the big water world there. You know, wow. Um, Wow. I'm still just. And I can easily say from running the cataracts, I can run the cataracts up to like 5,500 and uh, the current and the Indus is harder and bigger for sure. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like everyone who goes there comes back and they're like, "That's the biggest I've ever seen in my whole life." And uh, yeah, yeah, it's I don't know, it's crazy. Um, okay, so that's good. That's like the preparation. That's kind of what I to talk about. Lessons learned. That's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Um, do you have any other good misadventure lessons learned stories that we haven't talked about? Um, Alex yeah. gave us this incredible rundown yesterday of this like sticky shuttle car crash. Uh, epic that he was involved in do you have a similar story that you wanted to share with us i do it's not similar but i do have a mishap that happened this year as well is in uh i was going into dinky in may this year and uh i got bit by a rattlesnake at the put-in on my my gosh yeah so um yeah we were hiking down and you know for people who haven't done dinky it's like maybe a three mile two three mile hike down a mountain basically and it's really steep to get down in there and we were probably 200, 300 yards from put in. And I just felt this really bad pain in my foot and jumped back. And I never, never saw a snake and, uh, heard like a little noise, but Evan was like walking past a tree behind me. And so I just thought it was that. And I was like, Oh man, my foot hurts really bad. I thought I'd kick the stick. And so I like go sit down. And after like five minutes, my foot is hurting like maybe 10 times worse. And I was like, man, this really sucks. Like I'm gonna take my shoe off. And I had this one little like prick right above my second toe on my right foot. And it was like, blood like kind of pouring out of it and i was like man i must have kicked a stick really hard after like five more minutes i was like no i definitely got i got bit by a rattlesnake and oh my gosh. carson yeah like carson and evan were with me and then this other guy josh and uh they're like no you didn't get bit by a rattlesnake we didn't even see it like no and i was like all right well let's get to put in like it hurts really bad like let's just get to put in where it's open like i don't think i can hike i can't hike up the hill so, like walking down to put in i started like I was limping really bad and hurting really bad and like hurt more and more and more. And I got down to put in and my heart rate had gone up to like 120. And I'm like laying on this rock trying to relax. And I started kind of like shaking a little bit. And I take my shoe off and there's like black around a bite mark and my foot is just completely blown up. And I was like, oh my God, I got I, Carson's like, you got bit by a rattlesnake. I was like, I told you guys I got bit by a rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know what to do now. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to me, you know? So uh, we're sitting there and we have like, we're like, all right, we can like call a helicopter. And I was like, well, I can still walk. And uh, we had a shuttle driver though. So like the car's gone from the top. And I was like, I can't walk good enough to hike out. And I was and like, you're, I wait, sorry, you've been hiking already for three hours? No, sorry. Probably like an hour. An hour. Okay. Yeah, 45 minutes, an hour. But just like down a really steep mountain. Like it's, it's really, really steep down. And uh, I'm like, I don't think I can like hike back up there. And Carson's like, says, so like he has, Carson just carries this like little like swift water rescue first aid book in his bag all the time. So he pulls it out and he's like, he's like, Oh look, rattlesnakes. Like, okay, what's going to happen. You could go into shock. Like you could start vomiting after 30 minutes. And I was like, okay, well let's wait until it's been 30 minutes and then we'll see if I start vomiting and we'll make a decision. And so we're sitting there and like my foot's getting worse, but like I'm pretty fine and I'm like not throwing up. And I was like, all right guys, like do we need to call a helicopter now? And we're like, 
we're not a place where helicopter could land and I don't have helicopter insurance. So it's like, you know, really expensive. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. Like, let's go down like a mile and there's a place a helicopter can land. So we like kind of start paddling down. We start paddling down river and, uh, I'm doing okay at this point. Like my foot hurts really bad and I'm like pale and kind of shaking. And, uh, there's like two, there's like one portage before you get down to like a place a helicopter could land. And we get to the portage and I'm like full blown shaking, like can't hardly stand up anymore. Like white flushed and the portage is like fairly complicated and it's short, but like technical and, I get down there and they help me through the portage and then uh like the next rapid's like fairly scary and run the next rapid i'm like all right like it's fine like i'm just gonna do this and we just like trucked through the whole run as quickly as possible after that i was like screw the helicopter like we're just getting out we just like paddled and didn't scout anything and just like got to take out and drove myself to the hospital and i spent three days in the hospital after that I am lost for words at this point to hear that you not only got bit by a rattlesnake, but then just powered through instead of like taking the exit. Yeah, I just I, I felt I was kayaking really well the whole time. Like I couldn't really walk. And like the portages on Dinky are really, really short. So like everyone would just carry my boat for me and like kind of like shoulder me through. And so I was like never throwing up and I, I like my foot was in like extraordinarily bad pain the whole time, but I was like still nailing every line and every rabbit. And I just like, you know, I was like, if I feel like I'm blundering at all. Like we'll just pull over and get a helicopter. And I was like, but I always felt good in my kayak and I was like, I can keep kayaking. Like I felt better in my kayak than I was. And then, um, by the end of the run, like I couldn't put any pressure on my foot at all or like move my toes anymore. Um, but I had this weird experience, like during the run, like, like kind of middle of the run i like was just walking by myself and i had i had my boat on my shoulder because i was like i wanted to like do everything myself and i don't like particularly like getting help from people all the time and um i was like yeah i'll just shoulder my boat down this like 10 step like 20 step little path right here and i was in so much pain from walking that it like knocked all my symptoms out so i didn't i wasn't in shock i wasn't like sweating i wasn't like feeling weird i just felt normal and in a lot of pain and I was like, well, if I'm just in a lot of pain, I can definitely kayak. You might be the luckiest unlucky person I know. I, I feel the same way. I, I like there's nothing I'm like, I'm trying to put my finger on like uh, a lesson we could take away here or like a quality that is like something people can train and take away from this. And I'm like, I, I don't know that I could put my finger on something like the people can take away from this and be like, yeah, well it's fine. You know, it's like <laughs> this guy is the, like, you know, that we started off talking about your broken ankle climbing injury. Whereas like, yeah, you could have lost your whole foot and you're probably going to be fine eventually. And then it's like, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I got bit by a rattlesnake and, uh, and then went kayaking on hard glass five in high Sierras, California for a whole day. Yep. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I want to take away a quality here that, that is, you know, useful that people can work on in their own, in their, in the future I, I to I, help, help improve. But I, I don't know I what it, it is except for being like really, really, really lucky. I think the quality that I would take away from it is the only way I was able to like do both of these, like, I think be okay in both the times and know that I'm going to be okay is I was with people that I really trusted. Like on uh -huh. I'm with, Evan and Carson, you know, like I trust them more than I trust anyone else in the world and, and Alec, of course, but you know, I trust them more than I trust anyone else. And I knew that any moment they would do anything they could to help me if something happened. And 
you know, at any point in time, like they were there for me. They were always like monitoring me. They were always checking in on me and like, you know, being with and Boomer and, and Scotty and, you know, like, I don't know Boomer that well, but, um, like, you know, he, I trust Boomer with my life, you know? And so like being around these people that I trust with my life was the only way I was able to like do these things and like be out there and be able to push myself and like do something that may seem scary to other people, but like, I know I can do it and they know what I can do. And if they think I can do it and I know I can do it, then I know I can do it. Well, there we go. That is, that's what we have to dig away at to get there, but you've got to choose who you go on adventures with. Definitely. That's the, okay. That's the takeaway here is you want to be careful about who you're going on, on missions with. Yeah. Ah, I knew, I knew there'd be something. I knew we could just talk about it eventually and we'd get to, we'd get to what the takeaway was so that people can be like, this guy's just got a horseshoe tucked firmly between his buttocks. But the the (laughs) real horseshoe is the people who you surround yourself with. Definitely. And I think it's the same thing with like talking about the Indus, you know, like I wouldn't have gone to the Indus with very many people and the people I went with were, you know, the part of the handful of people I would have gone with. Yeah. I I think your your Indus crew would be a choice select group of people to go with. Yeah. And I think it says a lot that Dane didn't go with Brennan Adrian, but did go with us. Just want to put that out there. Um, I think there was some visa issues the first time. I don't think that's what it was. You know, I'm just going to pretend that's not what it was. (laughs) All right. I didn't trust them. I'm I'm just, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Those guys are great. No dog in this fight. So I'm staying out of this one. (laughs) All right, Johnny, this has been a pretty good podcast. I think we've got uh, some good takeaways, people to, to pick their paddling partners, uh, carefully, um, or as carefully as they're able to. Um, is there anything else you want to leave people with before we wrap this one up? I think that's pretty much it. Johnny, where can people yeah. follow you on Instagram, on uh, Facebook, etc.? Yeah, I'm on uh, J Chase Kayak is my Instagram, and then just Johnny Chase on Facebook. I post most of my stuff to Instagram, so that's that's where you can find me. Doing it for the gram. All right, Johnny, thank you so much. It's been a question you ever thought to us, Whitewater Kayaking Podcast. We will see you on the next one. Peace.